Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Down for the Count. I am one-fourth of co-host Tiffany Ian. On behalf of Janae, Alexis, and Nicole, welcome back to the show. So it is time for our storyline recap leading into Extreme Rules. Now, the previous episode of Down for the Count, we gave you guys our predictions as to who we think is going to win at Extreme Rules. But some things have happened since those said predictions, and I am here to give you guys a full storyline breakdown of each feud heading into Extreme Rules, and hopefully they won't add no more, child. But let's start off with the very first feud that was booked for Extreme Rules. It was Miss Watch Me, Liv Morgan, and of course, the baddest woman on the planet, Ronda Rousey. Now, Liv Morgan had a storied rise with the SmackDown Women's Championship, gaining her opportunity at Money in the Bank this year, and then cashing in the same night on a semi-injured Ronda Rousey. Hella smart. Everybody was cheering Liv Morgan on and saying, wow, Liv Morgan has finally done it. She has achieved the unachievable, the unachievable. Liv Morgan has bested Ronda Rousey and is now the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Oh, the story itself is a beautiful story. And of course, through all the tears, pun intended, blood and sweat, Liv Morgan relished in her win over Ronda Rousey. However, that win was, I guess you could say, short-lived. Ronda Rousey was not going to just let that fly. I mean, yeah, it's fair. It was a fair cash-in. She isn't going to contest that. But she's earned and deserves a rematch for that SmackDown Women's Championship. So, the match was set. SummerSlam, it was Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey. Now, leading into SummerSlam, Liv Morgan and Ronda had their little tiffs. And, of course, Liv was high on the fact that she had beaten Ronda Rousey once before, and she knew that she could do it again. Well, SummerSlam rolls around, and the match begins. And Ronda Rousey full-on dominated Liv Morgan in this match. The one mistake that Ronda Rousey made is that even in your prowess and even in your strength and your power, you still have the ability to lose. And Liv Morgan... She simply knew what to do at the right time and at the right place. Liv Morgan used Ronda Rousey's weight against her, had her shoulders down to the mat. The ref counted one, two, three, despite Liv Morgan tapping, and that was it. Liv Morgan retained her SmackDown Women's Championship, and Ronda Rousey was a livid former champion. This could not fly. I heard her tap. I saw her tap. We all did, babe. We all did. But, of course, the rest decision is final. It is what it is. And Liv Morgan got away scot-free. Or so she thought. Ronda Rousey was enraged. She attacked Liv Morgan and the referee. This caused her to be suspended for some time. This led to Ronda Rousey being out of the loop and out of the title scene for just a little bit. I'd say about three, maybe four weeks. Ronda was gone. In that time frame, Liv Morgan defended her title against Shayna Baszler. And in between these, this title defense, Shayna Baszler seemed to have the upper hand against Liv Morgan. But in their battle at Clash at the Castle, Liv Morgan proved that she was more than capable of fighting herself, defending herself against a fighter. She 
really put on a very good match against one of the most dangerous women in WWE history. So no one can deny that Liv Morgan is a formidable champion and a fighting one at that, despite how you may personally feel about her. Now, in that time frame, Ronda Rousey was trying to get Shayna Baszler to understand that while Liv Morgan may seem to be a weaker opponent, she's a crafty little bugger, and you're going to have to find ways to beat her the same way that she finds ways to beat you. Well, Shayna Baszler wasn't trying to hear that, because Shayna knew, <laughs> I got this in the bag, bitch, this is Liv Morgan. <laughs> I can beat her in my sleep. But she soon found out as well as Ronda Rousey did. You should never underestimate a underdog opponent. Well, Shayna hasn't been seen since then. And now Ronda Rousey is in the cards to be the next one to contend for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Now, I've only seen Shayna Baszler once since this happened. And basically what we saw was Ronda Rousey talking to Shayna Baszler, telling her she missed the killer that she used to be. She missed the striker, the, the unapologetic bruiser that she used to be. And that was it. Shayna Baszler disappeared from TV, and we haven't seen her since. Ronda Rousey and Liv Morgan have traded insults and fights against each other, and it all culminated up until last week. Now, the week prior, Liv Morgan had a match with Lacey Evans. She was a regular match. But Lacey decided she wanted to use Liv Morgan as a way to prove that Liv was not ready for the type of match that she requested. Now, to give you guys a little bit more further into the backstory, the week prior, two weeks prior, Liv Morgan interrupted an interview with Ronda Rousey. Looked, straighter, looked her straight in the eye and told her, I can beat you. I have beat you twice, and I'm going to do it again. But just to make sure that we have an even playing field, so you can't complain. We're going to do this in an Extreme Rules match. And if you accept, all bets are off. And it's every woman for herself. Ronda Rousey said, you want an Extreme Rules match? That's fine by me. But it's your funeral. And she walked away. So that following week, we got Liv Morgan versus Lacey Evans. Lacey Evans decided she wanted to try to prove that Liv Morgan was just still that crying little teenage delinquent that we all saw in the riot squad. But Liv Morgan had a trick up her sleeve. She was able to best and corral through the constant scrutiny, bullying, and unrelenting punishment that Lacey Evans was trying to unleash upon her. She ended up winning the match. And then... <laughs> Well, she won the match with her signature move, the Oblivion. But then Liv Morgan decided to prove an even bigger point. Extreme is subjective. But in Liv Morgan's mind, the best way to prove that she was extreme was to do exactly what no one expected her to do. You see, Lacey Evans picked up a kendo stick in the middle of the match and thought the best way that she could prove that Liv Morgan was not where she, want, not where she needed to be in order to wrestle Liv Ronda Rousey and really take her to the limit, she decided she was going to use that kendo stick in their match. Whether she won or not, she was going to prove her point. She ended up missing Liv Morgan and eating the oblivion, like I said prior. Liv Morgan picked up the kendo stick, and at first, she dropped it, giving herself a little bit of a pause and a thought. But then I guess the anger, the rage, and the doubt that seeped in is what took over. And Liv Morgan relentlessly attacked Lacey Evans. 
and was tearing her up with that kendo stick. She then took her on the outside and slammed her into the barricade with the kendo stick wrapped around her neck. And then, as the crowd began to cheer and fall in love with this new, more aggressive, angry Liv Morgan, she got an inkling of a table. She pulled the table from underneath the ring, set it up, beat Lacey Evans down enough to put her on top, climbed on top of the top of the ring post, and then she dove back first onto Lacey Evans. It was a sight to see for those of you who wanted to see it. And Lacey Evans lay there corralling in pain while Liv Morgan let out a battle cry that could be heard throughout the ages. Liv Morgan sent a message to Ronda Rousey. You may be the baddest woman on the planet, but if you push me, I will go there. That following week, Ronda Rousey had a match with Natalia, to which she beat Natalia, made her tap middle of the ring, one, two, three. And Liv Morgan, in her newfound war, pie, war cry and paint and anger, she came out with a bat. Now this bat was significant because prior to her match with Natalia, she was in an interview with Kayla and Ronda Rousey was asked how she felt about Liv Morgan's new taste for extreme. And Ronda just laughed it off. <laughs> extreme? Really? Am I supposed to be excited that Liv Morgan went through a table and she used a kendo stick? Good. Now I know that she's capable. I'm the baddest woman on the planet. I'm a lethal weapon just with my hands. What do you think I'd become if you put a bat in it? Now, Kayla, being the smart woman she is, she scurried her ass on out of there. But Liv Morgan took that as a dig. I know this bitch isn't talking about me. So Liv Morgan brought a bat. Weapon versus weapon, I guess you could say. Walked up during the girls' match, well, after the match. Basically stared down Ronda Rousey, and she used that bat. Hit her square in the stomach. Tried to hit her again, but Ronda was able to dodge. This led to an all-out brawl between these two girls. Liv Morgan ended up losing the bat. She tried to swing it, dropped it, fell out of her hand, bounced into the ring, to which ended up with both women fighting to get the bat. Now... Liv Morgan never got to the bat, and neither did Ronda Rousey. Liv Morgan did, however, eat that barricade a couple of times. And she also ended up being thrown over the barricade. Now, security and the refs were, and of course, some producers came down to break up this massive fight between these two women. But Liv Morgan was not going to take this shit lying down. Liv Morgan got up, stood on top of the barricade, and ran after Ronda Rousey and tried to take her out. These two women were clawing at each other and fighting until they were completely pulled apart and led out of there by security and referees. This fight is between these two has become volatile. And the reason why is simple. One side is trying to prove that no matter how great their adversary is, they still can fight through and become the champion that they've always wanted to be. They can persevere. The other one is trying to prove that ain't nobody that's not even close to my level gonna best me at a game that I have been good at since I set foot here. So the question is, who do you choose? The baddest woman on the planet 
Or do you choose the woman who has been trying to persevere and fight through all the noise for the last couple of weeks? At this point, I see something weird happening in this particular match. Things are going too clean on one side. Everything is one-sided. Liz Morgan looks like she can come out on top and win this whole thing. As does Ronda Rousey. But Shayna Baszler not being around for a while and only popping up once after Clash of the Castle is really bothering me. And I have a strong, strong feeling that she's going to show up at Extreme Rules and one of two things is going to happen. Shayna Baszler is going to cost Ronda Rousey this championship or she's going to side with Ronda and help her win it. Either way, I don't see anybody walking out of this place clean as a clear view winner. And this feud is far from over. Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle's story arc is interesting. It started from just a little pea-sized drama to this massive blowout between these two men. And the ante got upped very quickly, really, really early on. And as the storyline is begin to unfold and you peel back the layers, you see that these two dudes are brutally hating each other. And this is only going to lead to a massacre of a match inside the fight pit. Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins couldn't be any more different. Seth Rollins seemingly went by the book in his particular career. And, well, Matt Riddle, he went by the book per se, but... He likes to poke the bear a lot. So, with Seth Rollins being the kind of guy that he is, he isn't exactly too fond of Matt Riddle. Sans his personal standout for the man. He's not too fond of the character either. I feel that the feeling is mutual between Matt Riddle and Seth now, but I don't think it was like that in the beginning. However, Seth and Matt Riddle had a match and things didn't necessarily go in Seth's favor. He ended up curb stumping Matt. And this led to a feud between these two men that has continued to boil over into just volatile anger and disrespect and constant, constant backbiting. I'd say the time frame that it started getting really ugly is right before SummerSlam when they were supposed to have a match. One Raw started off with them just battling each other, battling each other, in the gorilla, just leading out to the, the arena, going back into the back, they were fighting, we saw WWE exclusive clips of them fighting backstage, fighting in the damn parking lot, they were going at it, it got so bad that Matt Riddle was scheduled in a match, to which he and did end up losing, and Seth Rollins curb stomped him in the ring. He then turned around and curb stomped him on the aluminum steps. This was bad because Matt was pulled from SummerSlam. He was not able to compete. Therefore, there was no match for Matt. There was no match for Riddle. And of course, Seth relished in it. He loved it. He thought it was amazing that he was able to take out Matt Riddle the way that he did. So, Matt was fuming though. He almost cost him his career. 
And he wasn't going out without a fight. Despite not being medically cleared, Matt Riddle showed up at SummerSlam and ended up taking a curb stomp from Seth Rollins once again. This led to Matt Riddle being gone for at least another two weeks. To which Seth Rollins was boasting and saying the most nefarious shit about. Oh, I almost ended his career. Oh, he's gone for good. Matt Riddle better him learn his lesson. We're moving on, baby. But nay, nay, Matt Riddle showed up, attacked Seth Rollins week, some weeks after, and proved that they, he wasn't going anywhere and that they were going to have a match at Clash of the Castle. This led to countless attacks between the two men, countless backbiting, match interrupting, costing of championship opportunities, until Clash at the Castle, where we got a tribute to Elton John, and of course, the, ba- the biggest bro of them all, Matt Riddle, fighting it out over in the UK. Well, it wasn't exactly going to go in Matt Riddle's favor now, was it? Seth Rollins went over on Matt Riddle clean. Beat him one, two, three. And you really can't complain about that. And as I said before, Seth Rollins is a pain in the ass when he wants to be. So he, he made it very clear that he was done with Matt Riddle. Now, just to give you guys a little backstory as to how volatile this, this feud actually got. Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins were told to keep themselves as far apart as possible. The week before that week of Clash of the Castle. And Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle were sitting down being interviewed. And Matt Riddle essentially said that Seth Rollins' wife was the man in their relationship. Well, that didn't sit too well with the visionary. Okay? That didn't sit too well with Seth Rollins. So he went to hell on Matt Riddle. He said, you know, hey, Matt. You know, you want to talk about my family? Let's talk about your family. Oh, wait, you can't. Because you can't see your wife or your kids anymore, you little bitch. That started a lot of shit. Matt Riddle started dropping a bunch of F-bombs. And motherfuckers was not having it, okay? It was ass-whipping time. And like I said, this led to a volatile fight between the two men at Clash at the Castle. To which Seth Rollins won. So Seth was done. He beat him. What else could there be for me to prove? I beat Matt Riddle one, two, three in the ring. There was no cheating. There was nothing. Everything was clean. So I'm moving on. I want a title. I, I feel like I'm, I'm itching for gold, baby. Matt Riddle wasn't having it. Matt Riddle's like, nah, we gonna run this shit back, bro. Seth is like, I beat you. We need to move on. So as Matt plotted to finally get Seth Rollins back into the groove of fighting him again, Seth Rollins was gifted a championship match against Bobby Lashley, to which he tried to cheat to win, and Matt Riddle came out and caused a distraction. This allowed Bobby Lashley to be able to retain his championship against Seth Rollins, and of course, Seth Rollins was livid. Later on that night, Bobby... Matt Riddle has a match, and Seth Rollins interferes in that match. And curb stops Riddle. Now, in the backstage area, before said curb stop, or after, I can't really remember, 
But you guys will figure out the timeline. Just know that the shit happened. Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle are going at each other's throats in the back. The refs, the producers, the damn security are trying to keep these men from tearing each other apart. And Seth is tired of him interfering in this shit. So he's like, fine, fine. You want a match? You want to go? Then let's go. Extreme rules. It's me and you. He was like, okay. We're going at it in a fight pit match. That kind of calms Seth down a little bit. He goes, wait a minute. Fight pit. Now, if you've never seen a fight pit match, that's because the fight pit was exclusively on NXT. And only two men, well, three, have ever competed in a fight pit match. That's Timothy Thatcher, Matt Riddle, and Tommaso Ciampa. Three of the toughest SOBs in NXT. Well, two of them, in my opinion. Given the fact that Matt Riddle was kind of in his element in MMA, I still say that Thatcher and Tommaso are pretty tough SOBs. I feel like because... Matt's high all the time. It doesn't really count. <laughs> I'm, I'm Okay, I'll give him his props, all right? Three of the toughest SOBs in the company fighting in one of the most brutal structures I've ever seen. Now, don't get me wrong. The Elimination Chamber, the Hell in a Cell, and, of course, the classic Steel Cage are still brutal structures. But if you've never seen a fight pit match, then you really don't understand what I mean. This match is structured specifically for someone who is understanding of how that octagon style fight works. And with this fight pit match, despite it being four corners, it has some bits of elements that really makes it shine. It's a really cool concept. There's a ledge on the top of this cage where you can't just get out of it and win the match. No, you've got to win by pinfall or submission. And you've got to fight your way out. It's a cool match, and I'm really, really glad that they brought it back, especially to the main roster where it can get the most use. Oh, this is going to be delicious. Anyways, I digress. Seth has never been in a fight pit match, but Matt Riddle has. It's very reminiscent of an octagon fight in MMA or UFC. However, Seth is at the disadvantage here. Matt is at the advantage. This past Monday... They had a no-touch clause in their face-to-face confrontation. Both of them threw ugly daggers at each other. Seth Rollins played on the fact that Matt Riddle's going through some things with his kids and his ex-wife. Whereas Matt Riddle played on the fact that Seth Rollins has recently said in an interview that he's tired of playing second place. And that it really burns in his craw that he's never had a marquee WrestleMania main event match and not everybody else around him who's close to him family wise has i.e. Roman Reigns being the tribal chief and even when he was the big dog he had a Wrestlemania main event match and even his wife has surpassed him and had a Wrestlemania main event match he has not he's been a draw for Mania but he's never actually been on the bill as the main event and that kind of bothers him a little bit which I can understand Matt Riddle made sure to bring that shit up and that made for an ugly confrontation between the two to which Daniel Cormier ends up popping up on the screen 
And he basically says, listen, you two have been at each other's throats for months. And we're tired of hearing the backbiting and the bullshit. This Saturday, inside the fight pit, I'm going to be the referee. And I'm going to make sure this match is called down the middle. And you guys are going to settle your differences inside the pit. There's not going to be any one side or the other. We're not going to give one person a pass and the other person does it. No, everybody's going to have a fair shot at settling this inside this fight pit. So I'll see you guys on Saturday. And that was it. The girls are standing in the ring with Daniel Cormier on the Titan Tron. It goes off and they go their separate ways. So now the question is, who's going to win in the fight pit? Well, if we're going by history, the fight pit favors Matt Riddle. And in my humblest of humble opinions, I can't see any other reason why Matt Riddle wouldn't win in this match. But only time will tell. And I can tell you this, even after this fight pit, this feud is far from over. Expect to see Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle fight one more time. Bailey and Bianca's animosity towards each other has been storied, has been documented actually for quite some time. This is a feud that has been boiling over for the last two years now. And because Bailey is was out for a year and unable to compete and never really had a finish. But now we're looking at a match between Bianca Belair and Bailey at Extreme Rules. And this is the first time that women will compete in a ladder match for the Raw Women's Championship. History making. But let's start at the beginning. Bailey and Bianca fought each other tooth and nail on SmackDown. And the last time they fought each other was at Hell in a Cell. And it was a pretty brutal match between the two. Bailey, however, succumbed to the EST, and that was it, or so we thought. There was scheduled to be another match at Money in the Bank that year, but Bailey suffered an injury and was unable to compete. This led to her being out for over a year. No more ding dong, no more hello. I imagine this didn't sit too well with Bailey. As much shit as I give her, she must have been itching at the chance to come back. Wrestlers don't really do well with sitting at home and watching wrestling. They crave it, they need it. It's like a drug almost. I imagine it must have made Bailey's blood boil. Watching Bianca fight tooth and nail with Becky to become Raw Women's Champion just after not having her SmackDown Women's Championship. It must kill her to see it. So, a plan was set in motion, it seems. Bailey corralled her troops, and she showed up on SummerSlam right on Bianca's historic win over Becky Lynch and made sure to let the EST know, hey, babe, you're on notice. You might be on a high right now, but I am going to snatch everything you've built and burn it to the ground. And so for the next couple of weeks, we've heard why Damage Control was formed, what they planned on doing, and where they were going. Eventually, Damage Control captured the Women's Tag Team Championships, and now all there is left is to have their leader 
with a title of her own. And of course, she set her sights on the EST of WWE. Now, she makes it very clear that Bianca is not what she seems to be. I don't have to prove anything to anybody. I'm in control here, not you. Well, Bianca's sick of that shit. Bianca's like, listen, girl. If you wanted a match, all you had to do was just tell me. You ain't have to go through all this rigmarole, all this excess extra, nah-nah, rah-rah. No, babes. Just come straight up. Look, I don't like you. You don't like me. Let's have a match. I want your belt. Bet. But, <laughs> Bailey's like, girl, I don't work on your time. This is about me. It's not about you. So I'll tell you when I want a championship from you. I don't need your help. I'll make sure I get what I want. Because I am Bailey, the role model. And I get whatever I want when I want. Bianca laughed that shit off like, girl, bye. But Bailey, she wasn't wrong. The next week, Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss were laid flat out in that ring. Taken out by damage control. And Bailey made it very clear. I want to have a match with you at Extreme Rules. And it's going to be a ladder match. Well, that announcement was made that following week. This past Monday, though, Bailey decided to tell a story about why she chose the ladder match. And that it was symbolic. Because unlike Bianca, she had to crawl, fight, kick, and spit back to the top of the mountain. And it was only then that she realized she didn't need those people in the audience because she was once just like her. She lived just like her. She acted like her. She had the girls in the audience with her little side ponytail. The Bailey signs were everywhere. The Bailey buddies were everywhere. Everybody was throwing hugs. And then when things stopped going her way, the fans just turned on her. They left her all alone. And then she knew then, she realized then that, that in that moment, she didn't need them to succeed. That it was about her. That it wasn't about them anymore. And Bianca was just like, girl, shut up. Okay, I will sign the damn contract, girl. She was like, Bailey, girl, let me tell you something. The reason why the people didn't vibe with you, they didn't give a fuck about what you were selling, is because what you was doing was not authentic. Okay, this is the real you. And this has always been the real you. Now, had you had come correct, things might be a little bit different. But since you decided you wanted to try to play to be everybody's friend with your little side ponytail and your little Bailey hugs. And when people was trying to be like, girl, this ain't you. Girl, we know you ain't like this for real. You got mad and you got in your feelings. Why? Because you got clocks. It is what it is, sweetheart. The reason why the people vibe with me. It's because I'm unapologetically me all day, every day. I'm the EST of WWE. And there ain't no change in that. No matter what happens, win, lose, or draw, I will still be the EST of WWE. And there ain't no change in that. But you, you can't get with that, babes. It's something you don't understand. But you will after this ladder match. After I beat you and prove once again... That I am who I am. And Bailey was like, you still don't get it. I always have a plan. I'm always in control, Bianca. 
You think that you're just going to beat me and this is just going to be the end of the game. But you don't understand the game has just started. And I am playing chess and you are playing checkers. And they just don't mix. And then all of a sudden on the Titan Tron we see Asuka and Alexa getting beat down by damage control. Now Bailey yanks Bianca by her braid, throws her back, and she bounces off that table onto the floor. They're fighting, and Bianca finally gets Bailey off of her, and she runs back there to get to her friend. But it was too late. Asuka's leg was messed up, and Alexa Bliss was pissed. This led to a match between EO and Alexa, to which led to a brawl, or more likely a beatdown, from damage control to Bianca and Bliss, where Bailey's on the top of the ladder and the girls are on the side showing damage control is in full effect. And there is nothing that Bliss or the EST can do about it. Well, we all know that WWE has a way of telling stories. And what I've come to learn about Triple H is that a lot of times he shows his card. He's a terrible poker player. But I did say on the show that Bailey was more than likely going to beat Bianca at Extreme Rules. But I'm here by telling you right now that I don't think that that's going to happen. I think Bianca is going to best Bailey in that ladder match. And I think Bailey's going to go down. Hopefully, it'll be some nefarious shit that goes down. I guess we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? Drew McIntyre has done everything he could to get himself back to the top of the mountain. And then Karrion Cross destroys all of that in a matter of seconds. Karrion Cross has been re-signed and has re-emerged with a vengeance. And Drew McIntyre is just trying to get himself to the point where he can finally rid the world of the bloodline and Roman Reigns' terror reign. But Karrion Cross doesn't want to hear any of that. Karrion feels that Drew McIntyre is in his way. He had his time. He's had his chance. And now is Karrion's rise to the throne. And he believes that he is the one destined to dethrone the tribal chief and assume the throne himself. How do we get to this point? Well, I'll tell you. Drew McIntyre was named the number one contender for Roman Reigns WWE Universal Dual Championship. And that very night that he decided he was going to attack full bloodline in tow, Karrion Cross choked out the challenger in front of everybody, including the tribal chief. But he also left a little message for Roman Reigns and his cohorts. The time of your reign is coming to a very short end. Tick tock, ladies and gentlemen. It's the moniker of the group, the duo of Karrion Cross and his wife Scarlett. Karrion Cross has made it very clear that Drew McIntyre isn't necessarily his problem, but he's in his way. And as long as Drew McIntyre continues to go after that championship, he will do everything in his power to get rid of him because he's causing him more grief than he needs. 
I don't mind a little chaos, he says. I don't mind a little darkness. And since Drew McIntyre doesn't want to move, I'll make him move. And that's exactly what he did. He started to get into Drew McIntyre's head, very slowly, stalking him, continuing to interfere in his matches, cost him time, and of course, make him less and less of a threat to the bloodline. This ultimately led to him interfering just slightly in his match against Roman at Clash at the Castle, to which Drew McIntyre did end up losing, to which Karrion Cross used as a means of proving that it was never Drew McIntyre's time. It was his. And the more Drew tries to make it his time, the more he's going to continue to lose. So if he doesn't want to step aside willingly, he was going to have to take him out. Now, Drew McIntyre's never been, you know, a little slouch. He ain't no bitch. If you're going to continue to come after me and attack me from behind, constantly calling me all this grief and strife over a place that you weren't even meant to be at, and you want to come after me and attack me for being the golden one, when I had to claw my ass back up to this just to get to this point, I had to work my ass off. And you want to... You want to discredit me and what I'm here for? No. So Drew made it very clear that Karrion Cross, if he wanted the crown, he was going to have to go through him to get it. So what we saw was Drew McIntyre grab a strap and wrap it around Karrion Cross's arm. We saw Drew McIntyre finally be the Scottish psychopath that he used to be. He damn near whipped Karrion Cross to a pulp. But as per the usual and on time, his wife Scarlet got in the way to protect her. And then the fireball came out, caused a distraction, and Drew was able to be bested. Karrion Cross took Drew McIntyre down, choking him out in the ring for the second time. Life isn't so sweet for Drew McIntyre right now. He did pick up a win this past Friday with Johnny Gargano and, of course, Kevin Owens. But that was because Karrion Cross was nowhere to be found. Neither was his wife, Scarlett. But they did leave a message. They did make it very clear that Drew McIntyre wasn't getting any further than Extreme Rules. And the moment you give me the opportunity to let all this darkness out that I have inside, not only are you going to be bested, but I'm going to make sure to put you on the shelf. Drew McIntyre has no idea what he's in for. But I don't think Karrion Cross knows what he's in for either. Two men vying for the same spot have always been a volatile situation. It's always going to end up combustible. So now, what do we do? You've got two guys who definitely have earned the right to want to stake their claim to the crowd. Now, in Drew McIntyre's favor, he's had his opportunity. It's a dead-in-the-water type of situation for him. Even if he bests Karrion Cross, he's still going to have to fight his way back up to the top of the mountain. Whereas Karrion has never wrestled Roman Reigns ever. He's never had a shot at the title. And he's never lost, technically, to Roman because he's never had a shot at the title. So the question becomes, who do you choose? Do you put over... The anti-hero Drew McIntyre, the face? 
Or do you put over the Dark King carrying cross? It's up to you, my dear friends. But I've already decided who I think is going to win. The gangs of New York are fighting, ladies and gents. And I don't think this is going to be contained at Extreme Rules. Brawling brutes have been a thorn in SmackDown side for quite some time. Butch is running around with a clear itch that he can't scratch. And Sheamus has been talking a lot of shit. Well, Gunther and Ludwig have been running around talking shit. But they've been backing their shit up. And Gunther became the Intercontinental Champion. And then, when the Brawling Brutes set their eyes on that IC Championship, they had to go make sure they got a little bit of insurance to protect Gunther and that title. You see, three-on-two just doesn't sound good to them. Now, three-on-three is a better bout. Besides, Imperium was always strong with the three and not the two. So Giovanni had to come out of NXT. You know, calm down on the Vidi Vedi Vici and focus on the general and his plan. Sheamus has a goal. Sheamus has acquired every single championship that WWE has to offer, sans the NXT belts. Sheamus has been U.S. champion multiple times, tag team champion multiple times, WWE champion multiple times. He has acquired every single title that there is known to man in the WWE, sans the developmental NXT belts, and of course NXT UK and or Europe. So the only belt that has eluded his grasp is this precious Intercontinental Championship. Right now, Sheamus is a Triple Crown Champion. But with that IC title, he'll be a Grand Slam Champion. Which means he has acquired all the belts known to man for the men. It's an amazing feat for anybody in the WWE. One that everybody wants to be a part of. It's an exclusive club. Miz is in there twice. <laughs> So, how do we get to that point? Well, you're going to have to go through an unmovable force. That force is aptly named Gunther. And Gunther has Ludwig and Giovanni watching his back. Now, despite how much Imperium irks my ever-loving nerves, this team is probably one of the best physically capable teams I've ever seen in my years of watching wrestling. They're efficient and precise in the ring. There are few teams who work as well together as Ludwig and Giovanni. And as a team, as a whole, they're extremely dangerous. I'd be surprised if Gunther doesn't maintain himself as Intercontinental Champion for a long, long time. And that's outside of the storytelling. That's just me being real. But that being said, Sheamus set his sights on that championship and that has caused a collision course of bullshit between these two teams. One that's been extremely fun to watch. Now, the general has been able to control his squad in many ways and Sheamus is the head of his. Both teams exhibit similar behaviors. They don't move without the captain. One of them has an extremely hyperactive, volatile attitude. 
And the other team is more controlled, precise, and very pristine. They operate as a unit. They move when they are told. And when they mess up, they are brutally punished. Seamus had a match with Gunther at Clash at the Castle. Probably one of the best matches I have seen on the main roster in years. It was a brutal fight between both of these men. Ultimately, Gunther was able to best Sheamus. He won and retained that championship, fair and square. This didn't sit right with Sheamus, and I don't think Sheamus was going to let this go. But Gunther made it very clear. If you come at me again, I won't just only beat you to a crawl, to a pulp. I will take you out. Well... Seamus made sure I'm coming after that championship. I want that belt. And you can have all the cronies you want. But I got my brawling brutes. And you have your soldiers. And we're going to go to war. And that's what's been happening for these last couple of weeks. Except for last week. Seamus was alone last week. The brawling brutes couldn't get out of Florida. Due to the hurricane. And so Seamus was all alone, standing up in front of a firing squad of Imperium. He charged at them, fought them off as best as he could, but ultimately he was bested by the general and his soldiers. Seamus was beaten badly, chopped, kicked, poked, punched, whatever you can use to brutalize a person with fists, physically, he was. To the point where he was being down twice in the span of 10 minutes. It was not a good thing to watch. This past Tuesday, the Brawling Brutes popped up on NXT. Of course, they were stuck in Florida. They didn't have much to do. So they decided, we're going to have a little bit of fun. Took on Pretty Deadly for the NXT Tag Team Championships. And damn near won them. But Imperium made sure that they understood but they weren't going anywhere. And they weren't about to be champions in NXT. They weren't coming to SmackDown with those belts to hype up Sheamus to get belts. And they weren't bringing those belts to that Donnybrook match. They were coming just as they are as the Brawling Brutes. And we had to let them know. They had to let them know that they were second fiddle to them. But they aren't ready to be champions anywhere. And we're going to make sure that we prove it. We're going to cost you those titles. And that's what they did, baby. Obviously, they were sent by the ring general. And they executed that plan viciously. Pretty deadly retained. And the brawling brutes were seen fighting with Imperium out of the arena. And now we lead to this part. Sheamus and Gunther have a match at SmackDown for the IC Championship. Despite whoever wins... They're going to go into this Donnybrook match. Either fuming or happy. This Donnybrook match is essentially a brawl. It is like a bar fight. I'm hoping that they set this up like a bar fight and we get to watch them fight. Like in a bar. Very similar to the bar fight between him and Jeff Hardy. Which I think is an underrated match and a lot of people don't like. But I loved it. I think that would be a cool cinematic match for them. So who's going to will out? Is it going to be the Brawling Brutes? Or is it going to be Imperium? 
I honestly don't know who could will out in this match. The outcome doesn't affect Walter in a negative way. It simply just means that his team and him didn't best the brawling brutes. But I don't know about this not affecting Sheamus and his team. You see, Sheamus has lost his first match against them. And if he loses on Saturday, on Friday rather, he doesn't have anything left. No ammunition in the tank. He has nothing to challenge Walter for. This win, in case he loses on Friday at Extreme Rules, could set him up for a potential fight against Walter at Saudi. But who knows? I guess we'll just have to wait and see how this plays out too. The fairy tale of Judgment Day is coming to an end. Or at least that's what Edge wants us to believe. Edge feels like he created a four-headed dragon. A dragon consisted of four members. Damian Priest, a former United States champion. Finn Balor, former U.S. champion. Former IC champion. And former WWE Universal champion. And of course, Dominic Mysterio, a former tag team champion who just turned on his own father. And Rhea Ripley, a former Raw Women's Champion, former Women's Tag Team Champion. This four-headed dragon is highly decorated and very hungry to take over this entire company. And everywhere they walk, they leave a path of fire, soot, and destruction. Nobody survives. Everybody either joins the fray and becomes another head, or they die. Edge and Rey Mysterio have been able to escape joining the fray. Albeit, they've either been kicked out or rejected. Now, for whatever reason, Judgment Day likes playing with them. Like a cat toying with its food. The mouse is the prey and the cat is the predator. Now, on occasion, those roles have switched. Edge has come out and made it very clear that he is not your prey. And he's going to strike when the iron is hot. And he likes taking you down piece by piece. And technically he has. Cut the heads off of the beast. This beast used to be a four-headed dragon. Now it's down to two heads. Or I'd say a three-headed dragon with a very strong heart. One head was Damian Priest, as I mentioned before. A very strong competitor, but too reliant on, I guess you can say, pandering to the crowd. He ended up losing against Edge in Toronto. And, well, head cut off. Now this new head with Dominant Mysterio, he had to be dealt with. At Clash at the Castle, Dominic Mysterio kicked Edge in the balls and clotheslined his own father in front of everyone. That following Monday, he made sure to tell everyone he joined Judgment Day and that he no longer wanted anything to do with Edge or his father. This led Edge to tell him, well, since a man has made man decisions, then it's time for that man to answer to those consequences. They had a match which Edge was whooping his ass. And if it wasn't for his father, he'd still be getting his ass whooped. But technically, 
that head was chopped off as well. And now you have one head left. Finn Balor. Spitting nothing but fire and brimstone everywhere. Angry. For what reason, I have no idea. He seems to have a chip on his shoulder. The last time we saw Finn Balor get into a battle with someone outside of the Mysterios and Edge, it was Dolph Ziggler. Essentially claiming that Dolph Ziggler was trying to take away time from him and his cohorts. That he was tired of the vets taking everything from the youth. Dolph was like, dude, you and I are the same age, bro. You're delusional. I think that's a very safe way to explain Finn Balor at this point. From the colors they're flying with their gear to the pants. (laughs) To the bandana being tied around his head. I don't think Finn Balor really understands that he is not. He is not in an episode of Law & Order or a gang in the film New Jack City. He most definitely is an Irishman from Ireland. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw that in there. With all that being said, this fire has been spitting fire for the last three weeks angry and as I said for whatever reason I don't know why he hasn't been well he kind of has been getting attacked by Edge and been taken out and his own crew has been leaving his ass in there (laughs) but ultimately it's led to this the last time Edge and Finn Balor met they were in a ring Edge ended up taking a beating from Judgment Day. The match was called between him and Dominic because they interfered. They got Dom out of the ring and they ended up beating and brutalizing Edge to the ground. This is after they already beat up Rey Mysterio. They got Edge on the drop on him, put his knee inside of a chair and they just wailed on it to the point where Finn got on the top rope and jumped onto Edge's leg while it was stretched out, seemingly looking like he was trying to shatter that man's knee. He writhed in so much pain, and that dragon relished in it. They all stood over him, this massive fire-breathing dragon, breathing their fire and just letting out their battle cries and proving to the world that even the world's greatest opportunist, one of the greatest champions to ever set foot in WWE, can't best Judgment Day. Everybody meets their judgment. Well, if we're going to go by that logic, then, well, Judgment Day, it's time for yours. Edge came back in a roaring thunder this past week and he came back last week actually and he left a message he said every time you try to take me out I come back bigger and better than ever and there's nothing that any of you can do about it you keep trying to kill me well I think it's time that you and I have a one-on-one shall we so Finn, it's me versus you in an I quit match. Now we all know Edge rarely quits anything. And once he puts his mind to something, it's going to be very hard to talk him out of it. 
this match is one-sided. Mainly because it doesn't matter what Judgment Day does to Edge. It's going to take a lot for him to say, I quit. He's literally going to have to be unconscious in order for anybody to make sure that he doesn't continue on. They're going to have to call it in order for that match to go in Judgment's favor. Or Judgment Day's favor. Here's another problem. Edge is not going to be able to best four people all on his own. And with Edge being the ultimate opportunist like I know he is, I wouldn't be surprised if he does not have an ace in the hole. If he doesn't, he better. Because that beating heart of Judgment Day has black lips and cold eyes. And I'm talking about Rhea Ripley. The true mind and brain behind Judgment Day. Behind every great man is a good woman. At least that's what the old saying says. But in this case, I'd like to say that behind the men of Judgment Day is Ripples the Clown Rhea Ripley. And she always has some kind of way of interjecting herself in these matches and in these feuds and making herself a prominent fixture as to why Judgment Day stays on top. And as long as that dragon's heart continues to pump and beat that hard, it doesn't matter how many times you cut the heads off of that dragon, they're always going to grow back. And if we're going by logic, what happened to Finn Balor some weeks ago when Judgment Day was being led by Edge? What was that, last year? Finn Balor got beat down, got attacked, and then ended up joining Judgment Day and stealing the group from Edge. Same thing just happened to AJ Styles. And I wouldn't be surprised if AJ Styles joined and ended up being a part of the group. Adding a fourth head or fifth, well, yeah, fourth head. And making them even stronger. Or maybe he'll turn turncoat and steal another group from him. You know, like he took over the Bullet Club. But you didn't hear that from me. Well, ladies and gents, that's all we got, and we ain't got no more. These are all of the matches and all of the storylines leading up into Extreme Rules, from Edge and Finn Balor, to Karrion Cross and Drew McIntyre, to Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins, to Bayley and Bianca, to Ronda Rousey and Liv Morgan, and of course, the Brawling Brutes and Imperium. These matches are all in an Extreme Rules format, and we have to say, Finally, Extreme Rules is just what that is. Extreme fucking rules. We don't have any matches that aren't with an Extreme Rules stipulation. And I gotta say, I'm very happy about that. So shout outs to Uncle Trip Trip for listening to the fam and giving us what we want. If you've got a theme pay-per-view, use that theme to the fullest capacity. And Trip Trip is doing that. So shout out to that. With all that being said, I hope you guys enjoy Extreme Rules this Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We have a kickoff show for Extreme Rules that starts at around 7, I believe. So, if you guys like watching the show early and listening to the commentary, please do. But for me, I'm a more of an 8 o'clock type of girl. Might play in the background for a little while, but I enjoy watching the pay-per-views. And I hope you guys do, too. Don't worry, we will do a full recap of the show after Extreme Rules goes live. That following week, we let everything die down, give you guys the time to relax, 
give ourselves time to chill and we're going to do a full recap of the pay-per-view and how we felt about it and if it was any good now the next couple of pay-per-views coming up are halloween havoc for nxt which looks to be shaping up pretty nicely and of course we have crown jewel in november early november and then the final pay-per-view of the year which is going to be survivor series war games which we're not going to miss Survivor Series War Games, okay? This is the first time the War Games structure will be on the main roster. And this is not brand versus brand. This is going to be storyline based. And I cannot wait to see what they pick and choose to be inside that structure. Because it's going to be a fun time, baby. With all that being said, be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownForTheCount19. And also follow us on Instagram at D4TC underscore podcast. And make sure you guys look on Spotify because we do post questions on there. And let us know what you guys think about Extreme Rules. Do you think it's going to be a fun show? Are you going to enjoy it? And tell me what you think of the matches and the booking and the storyline. Give me all the good deeds. I'll see you guys in our next one.